listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. How many of you saw World War Z? You guys see that? It got me thinking about brains. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about brains. Uh, So I'm going to talk to you about brains. Now you're here. Uh, So here's what I've been doing. I've been studying brains. There's this guy I've been listening to named Science Mike. And uh, he talks a lot about how our brain works. I know, that's who I go to for my expertise, Science Mike. <laughs> and, uh, so listen, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, okay? So first off, uh, did you guys know that our brains act as like, um, they're kind of like a skyscraper. They start at the bottom and then move up. Uh, did you guys know that? Lots of blank stairs. Um, and so what happens is at the base of our brain, by our spinal cord, uh, is the part of our brain, some people say it's like the medulla oblongata, it's this part of our brain that um, allows us to do all the things that we do subconsciously, okay? We breathe, we circulate blood, our eyes blink, stuff like that. That all happens at the base of our brain, right, where that like, little thing is. And, and then we move up a little bit in the brain. We move up, um, so like from the base, we move up to like the fifth floor, if we're thinking of the brain as a skyscraper. And we move up to our limbic system, okay? So in our limbic system, uh, we have all of our fear and all of our anxiety and all of our surprise and all of our anger. That's all in our limbic system. Uh, we have that. Uh, it's good for us evolutionary, uh, evolution-wise. Um, if you were a hunter and a gatherer, uh, you know, and you saw a woolly mammoth coming to spear you with a tusk, that's your limbic system. Like, I'm going to run away from that. Like, that's what our limbic system does for us. So how many people, like, you get bumped on the street or you're on the subway and you walk in and somebody's taking up a whole subway pole and you're really upset and your first inclination is to be really upset, right? Why is that? It's because that's your limbic system at work. That's your limbic system going, you're supposed to be upset about this. And then we move into our thalamus. That's like the core, the base. Our thalamus is our sense of identity. That's where we get who we are. We find out or we believe who we are because of of this part of our brain called the thalamus. And that's our core right there. That's literally the core of who we are, our identity, our self, what we think, all happens in our thalamus. And then from the thalamus, we move up into our cortexes, into our lobes. And our lobes are more of the gray areas of life. The poetry, the love, the language, the music, um, that kind of stuff happens at the top of our brain. Okay, now why am I talking about our brains? Why am I doing it? I told you, World War Z. No, I'm talking about our brains because uh, um, I wanted to find out where God fits into all this. And what I found out, and it was actually kind of surprising, is that God, what we think about who God is, um, that all takes place in our thalamus. Now, why is that interesting? Well, our thalamus has two parts. So our thalamus is binary. So our thalamus, what we want to do by default, the way we're made by default is to categorize. So when we think about ourselves, we go, I am either short or I am tall. I am black, I am white. I am good, I am bad. We want to categorize. We do that by default. That's what our thalamus does for us. And so when we think about God, what our thalamus does is says, hey, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to categorize who God is. God is real, God is fake. God is big, God is small. And so that's how our thalamus works when it comes to who we are and who our God is. So right now, at church, today, you are here, and most of you are breathing, and most of you are living. That's a good thing. Okay, that means you're using the the bottom part of your brain. And when you went to church today, a lot of you, how many people, did anybody run for the bus or run for a subway? Anybody? 
couple, well, sometimes you run for the bus and subway. How many people were speared by a woolly mammoth on the way to church today? <laughs> Regardless, that's, that's you using your limbic system, okay? You're using that, and that's great. Now, we're using our thalamus, okay? We're using our thalamus. And so what we're doing is we're worshiping, we're worshiping God. And, and, um, and you know, Ben is singing songs about the resurrection. And so our thalamus is going, who is this God? I want to categorize this God. And, and, and so I want to categorize this Jesus, because today's about Jesus and the resurrection. So was Jesus real? And our thalamus is at work, and it's going well. You know, there's evidence that Jesus was a real person. There's actually overwhelming evidence that Jesus was a real person. Um, so I can categorize this. This is true. This is not false. And so then... We keep worshiping, and we're worshiping like, oh, was Jesus a good moral teacher? And when our brains are going, okay, was Jesus a good moral teacher? Uh, okay, get, once again, there's evidence for this, and we see historically that there was a man who taught some things, and, and life changed for other people because of it. And so I can categorize this. This is true, not false. Jesus is a, was a good moral teacher. This is great. And now we're singing songs about resurrection, and about Jesus coming back to life, and he comes back from the dead, and our brains go, great, can I categorize this? And we go, wait a second, there's some eyewitness accounts in the Bible, and yeah, there's these disciples that like, you know, they they said that it happened and they built a movement on it, but I don't have any overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and so right now your thalamus is like, there's no category for me to put this. I have nowhere to put this right now. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And so what your thalamus does is goes, I can't categorize it, and so by default, by default, we doubt it. By default, we doubt. In fact, your thalamus is like, you take care of this cortex, I'm watching TV. That's what happens, because what it wants to do is it wants to say, this happened, this didn't happen. This is true, this is not true. We want to categorize it, and when we can't, by default, we doubt it. And so right now, a bunch of us have rattling around in our brains, in the top of our brains, in our cortex, is this idea or this wondering, is this true? Did this resurrection really happen? Did it really take place? Is there really a, a, a God who died or who came to earth as a human being and died and then rose again? That's what's going on. In fact, there are some of us here right now who, uh, who haven't been to church in a while. And the reason we haven't been to church in a while is because we doubt this story quite a bit. It's our default. We're supposed to. We are physically made to doubt it. Okay, And so we say, I don't know if this Jesus Christ could be resurrected from the dead. I'm just here because somebody made me come. I'm here because it's the culturally appropriate thing to do. Um, But I don't believe that. I don't even believe that a God exists necessarily. Um, In fact, I struggle with, like, the fact that there's people dying in other countries, and I'm here in America, and why would a God do that? And so we have all these thoughts and feelings about this, and we doubt. And for us, our doubt becomes an ending. It becomes this end game, okay? I think there are some of us here who uh, go to church every single week and we make sure we're there all the time and we even go to this church every single week and make sure we're here all the time and right now we are saying, I am certain that this resurrection happened and we hold on to this certainty so much because we're afraid of what might happen if we start to doubt that this actually happened. What, what, what slippery slope might we go down? And so what we do is instead of you know, allowing ourselves to kind of doubt whether or not this takes place, we put it into a category. Yes, this definitely happened happen, don't bother me about it. And instead of loving like Christ loves, instead of loving, we decide we're going to defend and protect because we don't want to doubt. We don't want to be afraid of what could come next. And so once again, our inability to doubt becomes an ending. Then I think there's plenty of us here, and I think most of us will fall into this category. Um, We're really busy, and we're like, maybe this is true. Maybe it's not true. I'm looking for a job right now, so I don't have a ton of time to figure this out. 
I'm, I think I'm going to get married to somebody, so I'll worry about that after I'm married. Whatever it might be, right? We, we, we are so busy and, and so like, okay, life is crazy and it's here and it's nuts. And you know what? Um, I'm going to think about this all later on. It may have happened. It may have not happened. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that our, our inability to even think about doubt at that point becomes an ending, becomes an ending for us. Our doubt becomes an ending uh, because by default, when we cannot categorize this story as either true or false, good or bad, black or white, right or wrong, by default our brains go, just doubt it. Just That's the best thing to do. Just, just, just wonder whether or not it happened. Probably didn't happen. That's where we go. That's what we do. Uh, all right, here's my confession. I am the pastor and I doubt too. I doubt too. I doubt sometimes. In fact, most of the time I wonder if I'm being intellectually lazy by believing something like this. That's what I wonder. I wonder whether or not, um, you know, this, this whole thing, it, it makes sense. Because, honestly, a man that comes to life and as God incarnate and then dies and then comes back to life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so, you know, what you do is you go, well, is this possible? Is this true? Is this the end that I'm doubting this way? And here's what I've discovered. Here's what I've thought. And to be honest with you, it's so important to me that I decided I wanted to write it down and say it. This is what I've come to. I've come to the idea that a faith worth having is one that welcomes the full spectrum of the human experience. It's a faith that celebrates mystery rather than trying to conquer it, And it's in this doubting and mysterious faith that I believe we truly become disciples of the resurrected Christ. This is what I believe. Why do I believe this? Why? Uh, Well, we just read a story about this guy named Thomas. How many people, raise your hand, how many people have heard of Thomas before? Thomas. How many people know him by his better name, Doubting Thomas? (laughs) Okay, now just let me ask one more question. Am I the only one in here that doubts? Raise your hand if you doubt. Raise your hand. We all, good, good. None of us have doubting in front of our names, right? It's like, I'm doubting Ryan. What's your name? Doubting Amy. Nice to meet you. No, but this poor guy, Thomas, he he gets nailed, you know? Doubting Thomas. And, And so the interesting thing about this guy, Thomas, is when I read his story and I read the story of the disciples, uh, what it makes me realize is that, you know, this, this, this gospel message that in my doubt, in my doubt I am absolutely qualified to be a disciple of the risen Jesus Christ. And it's in my doubt that, that I'm not at an end, I'm actually at a beginning. This is good news for me. So I'm going to read for you why it's good news. I'm going to start uh, John chapter 20, verse 19. So if you have your iPhone apps, feel free to take them out, scroll along. Uh, but it says this. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when Jesus' disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This gives me so much comfort. It makes me feel so good to read this. Um, Out of thousands of people that Jesus saw, thousands, Jesus picks 12 people. Twelve of them, and they're called the disciples. And every day the disciples are with Jesus. Every day they see Jesus perform miracles, right? Every day they hear Jesus speak these life-changing messages. They get to see people whose lives are completely and utterly changed every single day by being with Jesus. They see it all. They get to experience it all. And then what happens when Jesus dies? They become teenagers and they lock themselves in a bedroom. Why do they do that? Because they don't believe it anymore. 
They're doubting. They're doubting that what they saw and what they experienced, the stuff they saw every single day, whether or not that could ever be true. That brings me great comfort. I, I wasn't there. I didn't get to see that stuff. Those guys were in their doubting. Gives me some license to actually think about what might have happened. And so I take great comfort in that. And then I take great comfort in knowing about the one disciple who wasn't there. Because in verse 24 it says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Because Thomas was unique. He was unique in the sense that Peter, right? Jesus said, hey, you can walk on water. And Peter was like, okay, I'm not going to doubt that much. And he gets out and he walks on water. Or um, John, who, you know, they say, hey, recant Jesus. Don't, don't follow him. And John goes, I can't recant it. Like, I'm certain of this. And they go, fine, then we're going to put you on a prison island where you're going to die. Or Matthew, who literally was making millions of dollars uh, in, in today's money as a tax collector, who Jesus says, hey, why don't you come follow me? And whatever Thomas saw was so irresistible. He was so certain of it that he followed Jesus, right? Thomas is different, right? What is his mantra? Unless I see, I will not believe. Unless I see, I will not believe. And I think with us, we are by default made to think the same things. We are made to categorize. And unless we see, we cannot believe. Unless there's evidence, we cannot accept this. And I'm like, I read this and I'm like, Thomas is just like me. Thomas is just like me. I I feel like I'm an Us Weekly thing. Just like me. There's Thomas doubting at Starbucks. (laughs) Anyway, there's like six of us that read Us Weekly. So all six of you got that one. Good job, everybody. Uh, and I, I didn't even write that down. And so, uh, but whatever. So I just, I'm like, wow, this is, this is me. This is just like me. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus goes, Thomas, you're not one of the 12 anymore. You're out, right? Is that what he does? Some of you are like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's something incredibly tender about this. I mean, just absolutely beautiful and tender about this passage that, um, that just strikes me. How many of you have ever um, had a child draw a picture for you? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you have ever had a child do that? I have kids who draw pictures for me. When they draw a picture of you, how do you look? <laughs> you look like a box with some, some sticks. And your feet are like little points. And invariably, there's always like a poorly constructed rainbow on the page. <laughs> and what happens when they come up to you? What happens when that child comes up to you? That child comes up to you and says, hey, I drew a picture of you. And what do you do? Do you go, does my leg look like a stick with a point coming out? (laughs) Your rainbow is awful. It's got pink in it. Pink's not even on the color spectrum. (laughs) Go back and draw it again. Is that what we say? Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I'm putting it on the fridge. Right? Why do we do that? Because we meet people in their limitations. We meet our children in their limitations. Jesus meets us in our limitations. Jesus meets Thomas in his limitations. 
unless I see, I will not believe. And Jesus says, Thomas, I know what your brain is doing right now. I know how it operates and works. And I know you're limited in that. And I see you. And instead of saying, bless everybody but Thomas, I say, blessed are you who has now seen me. And it's this picture of meeting us in our limitations. And I, I don't have proof that this resurrection took place or didn't, you know, I, I don't know. But, but what I do know is that I want to be a part of a story. I want to be a part of a story where a resurrected Christ meets me where I'm broken. I want to be part of a resurrection story where the resurrected Christ meets me where I don't have it figured out. I want to be a part of a story where a resurrected Christ says, blessed are you, Jonathan, or whoever else that will never quite figure it out and whose default will always be to doubt me. Blessed are you. I want to be a part of that story. So that's what Jesus says to Thomas. And what does Thomas do? We actually uh, uh, can look at the history of Thomas. It's incredible. Um, but what Thomas does is he, is he realizes I, the same thing that we've been saying here, that the doubt that he has is not an ending. It's actually a beginning. This is his beginning. It begins Thomas's ministry. And so Thomas goes to the ends of the earth. He goes to the ends of the earth, which at that time was India. And he goes to South India. This is where Thomas goes. And in South India, he tells people about how he doubted this Jesus who blessed him anyway. And he tells people about how uh, he, he met people in the midst, or how Jesus met him in the midst of his limitations. And he talked about how his doubt was a beginning and not an ending. And, and the story is that Thomas converted thousands upon thousands of people in India to become followers of Jesus Christ. One of the families that Thomas uh, um, uh, converted, uh, the story goes, you know, thousands of years ago, was this family who, after their conversion, changed their name, their last name, to Abraham. They took on the last name of Abraham. That's how, uh, um, that's how incredible Thomas's story was. They were like, we want a story of a, of a Bible character, and we want that as our last name. So this Abraham family passed down their, 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 this story of Jesus Christ given to them by Thomas, right? And they passed it down from generation to generation to generation, and they told the story of Thomas. Hey, in your doubt, Jesus meets you. In your limitations, Jesus meets you. In your limitations, the resurrected Christ loves you and meets you. And this Abraham family continued to pass this story down for generations and generations until it got to this um, one family uh, in the year like 1981 and that family um, was a family that had just moved to Philadelphia and in that family was this woman named Juby and this woman named Juby uh, ends up going to Eastern College because she thought it was the best place that she could um, you know, live out this faith that she had heard from her family who heard it all the way back a couple thousand years ago to Thomas and it was at Eastern that I actually met Juby and then we got married so Two things about that story. That is the sappiest, hokiest story you'll ever hear <laughs> from this stage. I am well aware of it. The second thing I want to tell you is that when we decide that we are going to make doubt a beginning instead of an ending, when we decide that doubt for us qualifies us to be a part of this resurrection story, when we decide that doubt allows us to live a life in the resurrected Christ, it means that we have a part to play. It means that we are the characters in this story. It means that we have lines. It means that it is our doubt that qualifies us to be a part of it. And who knows the generations that you're going to change because of it? Who knows the people that you'll change because of it, the towns you'll change, who knows the families you'll change, who knows what kind of change you'll bring because you say, in my doubt, it was just my beginning. It wasn't an ending. It wasn't. Thomas believes, and Jesus says, blessed are you. 
and it qualifies him to be a disciple. What will we do next? What will happen to us next? I think there are some of us here today who are absolutely ready ready to, to say, you know what, I, I don't want this to be my end. I don't want it. There's some of us here today who are I'm willing to live out this mystery. I'm willing to live out whatever this thing is. And, and it, yes, it doesn't make sense, and I don't get it, but in some ways it qualifies me to be a part of this resurrection story. I think there are some of us here today who are saying, I have no answers, and I have tons of questions, and that's perfect. That's exactly where you want to be. And now you say, okay, I'm qualified to live out this story. And there are some of us here today who, who are going, you know what, this doesn't make any sense, and I might not even come back after today, but still, I'm intrigued, and I'm curious, and maybe I want to be a part of this story. And you know what happens when we become part of this story? You know what happens when we say yes to this story? It changes our brains. I'm back to brains again. <laughs> you know what happens to our thalamus? This is proven. You take a brain scan of your thalamus. You know what happens when you say yes to this story? Your thalamus stops trying to categorize things. One part of your thalamus gets really big and really asymmetrical. And you know what that one part of your thalamus does? When you start to believe that this story might have happened, and when you start to believe that this story could be true, and when you start to say, my doubt is a beginning, it's not an ending, your thalamus starts to emit these chemicals that allow you to become more forgiving. And then your thalamus like, emits chemicals that allow you to be more loving and more calm and more patient. Your thalamus emits these chemicals that allow you to be, um, you know, did I say forgiving already? That's a giant one, right? It allows you to do these things that whether we believe it or not, actually represent the resurrected Christ. Maybe that's proof enough. Maybe that's all we need. That, that, that every time somebody walks to these church doors and they say, I'm a mess, and you say, good, me too. That's our thalamus emitting chemicals that are showing us proof of the resurrected Christ. And every time that we say yes and somebody walks in and says, I need justice, and we say, yes, you do, I'm going to bring justice for you, that's our thalamus actually working in different ways and, and us bringing proof of the resurrected Christ. And every time we throw a party for somebody because we've decided to say yes and we throw the party for them just because they exist, that's chemicals in our brain saying that you are acting now as proof of the resurrected Christ. And every single time somebody says, I doubt and I don't believe, and you say, blessed are you, you're loved anyway, that's your thalamus producing chemicals that bring proof of the resurrected Christ. So your doubt that you have today when you say yes is showing proof of a resurrected Christ, a Christ who meets us in our limitations a Christ who is literally, literally changing our minds in the midst of mystery. A Christ who is literally saying, blessed are you, broken one, doubting one, struggling one. A Christ who says, this is my day, this is my resurrection, and it is not the end, it is just the beginning. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, we believe, so, so help our unbelief. And when um, belief is hard to come by and when we feel cold and when we feel uh, like you know, our hearts are hard or whatever it might be, uh, we ask that you would bring grace to soften. Uh, grace uh, to give us the opportunity to say yes. Uh, grace in which you meet us at our limitations. And Lord, give us the strength to actually make this journey Pick us up in the midst of this journey. Lord, increase.
And then, Lord, on this journey, allow us to decrease. We just pray this in your name. Amen.